Leaves are turning, the kids are back in school, fall is here, and in America, that means football, college, and professional. You have the crunch of pads colliding. There's the roar of the crowd. But something's missing. That's better. This is The Narrative. I'm Harry Swartout. A live soundtrack has always heightened gameplay. From military marching bands during Civil War baseball games, to the huge productions of Super Bowl halftime shows, sports fans have become accustomed to a score to complement the scoring. The athletic audio relationship can often be symbiotic, with sports heroes putting out albums and pop stars name-dropping the best players of the age. But there's a special relationship with sports and live music. One sports anthem has infiltrated the American psyche so deeply, you can probably sing it even if you've never attended a ball game. I mean, the writers of the song hadn't. So the story goes that Jack Norworth, who was a big star in vaudeville, was riding the the subway and at various stops there would be these lithographed posters that would say ball game today at the polo grounds. That's Amy Worf McGuigan. She wrote Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the story of the sensational baseball song. Norworth saw one of these posters and just thought, I think I'll write a baseball song. And he teamed up with Albert Von Tilzer, who wrote the music. And so the two of them had never seen a baseball game, but they understood it enough to uh, write this song, not knowing, of course, that 1908 would be quite a sensational year for baseball in New York. The 1908 season was sensational, and it wasn't just Norwood and Von Tilzer who tried to cash in on America's baseball fever. Within a week, George M. Cohan, who everybody knows from Yankee Doodle Dandy and over there and all the great, and he was a he was a superstar on Broadway at the top of his game in 1908. He he rushes out his own song, "Take Your Girl to the Ball Game," and the two songs really go head to head all summer. Vaudeville was a copycat game, with everybody drawing new material from the newspaper headlines and other successful songs of the time. Long before the Giants famously lost the 1908 championship after Fred Merkel failed to touch second base, there were already dozens of baseball songs. But when the dust settled, it was Take Me Out to the Ball Game that burned itself into pop culture. It topped the charts, ran 12 printings of sheet music in the first year alone, and graced the silver screen in various films. But it took another baseball legend to give Take Me Out to the Ball Game its signature spot during the seventh inning stretch. All right! Let me hear you, everybody! A one, a two, a three, take me out. It never achieved the status of anthem until 1976 when Bill Vec 
had taken control of the socks from the Comiskey family, and Harry Carey was with him with the White Sox. Bill Vec heard Harry Carey singing the song up there, and Carey had always said it was the only song he knew the words to. And he would amuse himself during the seventh inning stretch, singing it up in the booth. Vec heard him and said to him at one point, how about we open the microphones up and have you sing to the stadium and everyone will sing along with you. And Carrie was a little bit reluctant at, uh, to, to do it because he said he had a terrible voice and, you know, it would probably be a flop. And Vec, who just had a, a knack for kind of knowing what people loved at the ballpark, he said, no, the, the beauty of this is that you sound like every other guy singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, and people will love it. They'll sing along with you. And sure enough, they tried it, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, everybody in the stadium started singing along with him, and it just began to catch on. And that's really where it establishes itself as the seventh inning stretch anthem. Take Me Out to the Ball Game remains timeless, but other sports songs evoke a period of the team or sports history. Let's say 1979. Yes, uh, it, it was. Uh, I was at A and M Records at the time in Hollywood as a uh, staff writer producer. That's Jerry Marcelino, producer and writer for the likes of Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, and of course the San Diego Superchargers theme song. And they were looking for a new uh, fight song, new theme song, and and uh, so my buddy Chuck called me and said, Jerry. Uh, love to have you write a song for the Chargers. So I said, Can I do anything I want? said, yes, I said, I want to do a, a pop dance song for him. And they said, okay. So I went in the studio and uh, cut a real powerful dance track and a real sing-along, and they loved it. In 79, the disco recording industry was a finely oiled machine where publicity meant record sales. Any disco song, even a good one, needed a face to capitalize on the tune. And for the Chargers... It was Captain QB and the Big Boys. So I, I called it Captain QB and the Big Boys. And we ended up uh, getting three football players, one of them my son from the University of Hawaii, to take some pictures because if uh, we had the opportunity to promote this, uh, they could lip sync it on some shows. Uh, we were ready for it. And after a successful printing of 45s propelled the 12-4 and 4 Chargers to the playoffs, it seemed like Captain QB and the big boys would get their chance to take the field on the biggest stage. When they got to the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl, we were invited down there and uh, did kind of a little video on the guys singing. And uh, they said, wow, if we get to the Super Bowl, we're going to have these guys sing at halftime. We'll make that part of the deal. And uh, the championship game, uh, my wife and I were there, and uh, they were everyone singing the songs. They had sheet music in the programs and then on the big screen. 
and everyone's singing San Diego Superchargers. If they would have won that game, but uh, Earl Campbell got in the way with the Houston Oilers, and they did not win that game, so I never got to do it. So Earl Campbell ruined what would have been one of the best Super Bowl halftime shows ever. But despite the loss, the song stuck. It remained the Chargers' go-to TD celebration until 1984, when it was replaced with a more modern-sounding version. But in 2002, they brought back the original, and nobody is happier than Jerry Marcellino. If your team needs a theme song, he's ready to record. I'd love to have an opportunity to do uh, a theme song for another uh, NFL team or a baseball team. I did, uh, I did a theme song for uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks that never got to the right people and uh, for one reason or another. And it was the year that they uh, were champs. So uh, they ought to think about having me write one for them again. I'm ready for any theme song. Football is littered with bespoke theme songs. Elsewhere in the NFL, you have Fly Eagles Fly. In college, Michigan's Hail to the Victors. In baseball, however, each player has a theme. Walk-up music to help them get into the right state of mind. Halfway around the world in Japan, they've combined the two. Here's Eric Lord. After the Tigers would win a game, outside of the stadium, the fans would kind of exit the stadium and then reassemble and sing a whole series of songs. Again, they're composed with players, right? So they'd first sing the starting lineup that day. Then any bench players who didn't play, then maybe again any players who did well, and then players from the past who had retired years hands for part of maybe the championship winning team in 1985. Like, so generally speaking, we'd go through like 30, 40 people before security cleared us out after 11 o'clock. Those 30 to 40 individualized player themes are written by a group of people called Oendon. Oendon are Japanese cheer squads for professional and college teams. Eric is a former member of one such group for the Hanshin Tigers baseball team. If you're thinking American cheerleaders with the pom-poms and the skirts, Think again. An Owen Don, Owen meaning cheer, and Don is like a military brigade, so I guess cheering squad would be the direct translation. They're a group of people uh, unemployed by the team. They're not paid. They instead pay for the privilege of attending the game, just like anyone else. But they've grouped together for the purposes of supporting the team. Uh, Japanese baseball, kind of as a reflection of Japanese culture, is much more organized in its fandom. So what the Oendan will do, will they will, in an unofficial capacity, compose cheering songs for the players on the team, which will then be sung uh, throughout the team's offensive innings uh, all the way through the game. So that at no point when the team is at bat will somebody not be singing the song for the player. There's other different songs for certain situations. There's a scoring chance song. There's a we scored the run song. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the basic idea. It's a dedicated bunch that writes, sings, and cheers songs for every player. They hand out lyric sheets so less dedicated fans can sing along, and play instruments so that the rhythm impaired can keep the beat. They even have a YouTube channel, so you can practice the cheers before you even step foot into the stadium. The result of an entire stadium singing in unison is pretty impressive.
at Koshien, which is the stadium that I used to attend for the Hanshin Tigers, it would be the entire right field bleachers. So multiple thousands, I guess, at a guess. Um, the, the core went down would probably be about 1,000 to 2,000, and then the rest of the people sitting in the section have full buy-in into the songs. I think it speaks a lot to the cultural differences between North America and Japan. Japan being a very group-based society where it's considered a cultural virtue to be able to put aside your individuality for the sake of what the group is doing. The the upshot, I guess, for the Oendan is that since the individual is kind of put aside, there's full buy-in into what the group is doing. Everybody's willing to kind of like follow along with what the leaders are telling them to do, which means that not just that section, but really the entire stadium is kind of singing the same thing. Singing for hours before, during, and after each game is grueling. But the Oendon take pride in their fandom. They're not so different from American fans. First of all, I don't know that they're any more or less passionate as sports fans anywhere else. That's the beauty of sports. And even if they display it differently, it's no different than taking every Sunday of your life to go watch your NFL team tailgate. You know, you get there at 11 a.m., you're drunk by 1, you stay drunk until 9 p.m go out to a bar afterwards and you got to go to work on Monday. And that's a major life investment as well. So I think that sports fandom and that level of passion is universal. Whether it's here or an ultra in Europe or a major NFL fan or a Japanese baseball fan. Having music for every occasion can be tricky especially with the back-and-forth moods and situations during the flow of gameplay. Not even the Owendon can write a song for a quick steal and dunk on the other end. But this man can. What's going on, y'all? My name is Sir Foster, and I am the organ player slash DJ for the Atlanta Hawks. My mindset when I'm playing at the games is that I'm scoring the game. And each game is different. It, you know, the goal is to put the ball in the hoop, but the way that it's put in the hoop or the time at which it is put into the hoop is different every game. And so as, as a live musician, you can tell what the mood is in the building and you can play mu music that to either change or boost that mood. Sir Foster plays the organ, a mainstay in sports because of its ability to carry sound over distance. Instead of playing the tired classics, though, Foster is customizing the experience for Atlanta by playing homegrown hip hop. music for us is two reasons number one is that i really like it. just living here it gets in your soul like after a little while when i leave atlanta and go to other places if i don't hear it i miss it after a little while so that's the first thing but the second thing for me is hometown pride you know i'm up there and i want to make sure that the fans are having a good time i want to make sure that i'm playing songs that i like but the bottom line is that we want to create a home court advantage for the hawks team so when you come to atlanta you're going to hear atlanta music so i want you know opposing teams, and if, if there are some, I want opposing fans to know exactly where you are. He ad-libs too. 
The custom keyboard at Philips Arena can hold all kinds of sounds, from horns to guitar, and of course, the classic organ. And that gives Foster a lot to work with. During the game, there's not always time to rock something original. So Foster looks forward to a time most of us dread, extended stoppages in play. Occasionally, you know, they'll do a video review of something and it could take anywhere. I've seen them take as little as 15 seconds. I've seen them take five minutes. With that said, I've been able to really kind of prepare for those moments. And so when I get a chance to just play something that's extended, you know, I can really play to the crowd more. I can switch between different songs. And uh, I just really have a lot more freedom. You know, things open up. And I get a re huge reaction when I'm able to do that. Some of those people digging his music are the players themselves. Fans go to games occasionally, and most every home game. But players hear the same stuff night in, night out. Unless it's Foster on the keys. Um, players really don't have requests, but they all come up to me and they tell me, like, yo, you be jamming. Like, even when I've met opposing players, they tell me that. Like, uh, last year I met Andre Iguodala from the Warriors. And so I, you know, I said, hey, how, how are you? I'm the guy who was playing the organ. I'm Sir Foster. He was like, oh, you were the guy who was playing Kendrick Lamar. And I was like, yeah, that was me. So I can tell that they're listening. And that's, that's huge for me. The players and the fans are listening. Always. Domes, arenas, stadiums are all built not only to watch the game, but also to carry the sound. Just ask the Seahawks. Small fan-made earthquakes aside, in between the scores, it's the music that takes you out to the ball game. Special thanks this week goes out to Amy Worf McGuigan, Jerry Marcelino, Eric Lord, and Sir Foster. If you like Sir Foster style, you can book him at your event by emailing Tony at EncoreArtists.com. You're listening to one of Sir Foster's jams right now. It's called Turn This Up, and you may have heard it at the Olympics this summer. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Tweet about us using the hashtag SINarrative. I'm at Harry Swartout on Twitter. For more on music and sports, including the missing two verses of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, check out Amy McGuigan's book, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the story of the sensational baseball song. And as always, for more narratives moving the world of sport, visit SI.com. <laughs> <laughs>